Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Lila Micklewaite is the founder and CEO of the Justice Defense Fund and the founder of the global trafficking hub movement supported by millions around the world. She has been combating the injustice of sex trafficking for over a decade and is a leading expert in the field. Welcome, Lila. Thanks for having me. Our audience is well aware of the harms of pornography on families and also how pornography intersects with sex trafficking. Let's talk about the work that you are doing to bring justice to survivors of sex trafficking and child sex abuse. What got you started in this field? You know, I've been doing this work for over 15 years. I don't have a very dramatic story of how I ended up focusing on this area, I grew up in a home where my father was very focused on human rights issues. He grew up in the Middle East in the midst of war, and he just always instilled in us this sense of awareness about human rights issues and justice issues throughout the course of our lives. And I came back around to that when I was trying to decide what direction I wanted to pursue in my studies and my career path and really realized that I wanted to invest myself into something that would focus on alleviating human rights abuses and came across the issue of sex trafficking around that time. As many people were stricken by the severity of the harm, especially with regard to women and children. And so that's how I ended up focusing down that path. As time went on, one thing I realized was that sex trafficking and these abuses were not only going on on brothels and, you know, the United States streets and back alleys and prostitution and brothels in Cambodia, but also online um, and through the big porn industry. And I came to realize that there is a big porn industry, just as there is a big tech industry and a big tobacco industry. And and that, uh, you know, I began to investigate and research over the last nine years, the intersection between sex trafficking, child sexual abuse material, all forms of image-based sexual abuse and the big porn industry, but also really spent a significant amount of time looking into the harm that it does to children as they're exposed to these kinds of sites, you know, at very young ages these days. As of December, Pornhub was the largest and most popular porn site in the world. 
2020, they reported 47 billion visits to the site that year, 130 million visits per day. In 2019, they had 6.8 million videos uploaded to that one site. It would take you 169 years to watch the content uploaded to Pornhub in just one year. And I was investigating that site because I was questioning. There were so many videos, these homemade videos of women that appeared to be being raped and appeared to be in pain and protesting and not consenting to what was going on. And also homemade videos of, of girls that appeared to be underage teens and tweens. And I began to question how are they vetting these videos and why is everybody in the world just assuming that because it's on Pornhub, it's legal? One night I was awakened by my baby and as I was putting him back to bed, I was kind of pondering these questions that were haunting me and I had an idea and I said, I'm going to try this test upload for myself. And so I took out my laptop and I tried the upload process and I found out what Millions of people would have already known, but nobody sounded the alarm about before, and that all that it takes to upload content onto the world's most popular porn site was an email address. No ID to prove that you're of age, no consent form to show that you're not being raped or trafficked. And that was kind of the, the moment where everything kind of came to a head and where the trafficking hub movement began. At Betrayal Trauma Recovery, we consider all pornography abuse. So, for example, if someone says, well, Anne, a 12-year-old boy who views pornography is not an abuser, I would say, yeah, you're right. But you know what has happened to him? He has been abused by the pornography. So when he viewed the pornography, the pornography abused him. It's always an abuse issue in one form or another. And the fact that on Pornhub, people are uploading child sexual abuse material and people are profiting from this is just absolutely atrocious. So you use the term child sexual abuse material, which more and more people who are fighting pornography are using. Why has that been an important evolution to that term, child sexual abuse material, and away from child pornography? Yeah, I the way that we talk about things really matters. And one of the things that has been brought to the surface with regard to this issue is just what you're saying is this issue of abuse and understanding it as abuse and talking about it in terms of abuse of children instead of pornography. So when we think of pornography, we think of an industry, we think of LA or a studio, we think of entertainment, we think of issues often that are brought up with that of free speech and all these kinds of things that people talk about when they talk about pornography, something that is used for pleasure. And so connecting child to that really does not do justice to the harm that that act has had on that child and being able to instead to call it you know, child sexual abuse material, I think really describes what's going on in a way that is so much fairer to the experience of victims and doesn't minimize or legitimize in any way what they went through because children can't consent to any of this, no matter what. And so calling it pornography, although it's the legal term still, like, you know, if you read the law, it still is called child pornography. But more and more, like you said, advocates are starting to reframe that for people to have a better understanding of what's going on by calling it child sexual abuse material. And I agree with you with regard to the consumption when children are viewing this content. 
I often call it a form of secondhand sexual abuse for a child to be exposed or even to willingly seek out that content. A curious, you know, 10, 11 year old who heard the word porn at school goes home and searches Google for the word porn and ends up on Pornhub where there's, you know, so many thumbnails just on the homepage where they autoplay. You don't even have to click play in many of cases on the homepages of these sites. And a recent study done by, in England, it was a peer-reviewed research study, and I can find the, the source for you of that. They found that a significant amount of videos on the homepages of these porn tube sites like Pornhub and Xvideos were representing non-consensual sexual activity or criminal sexual activity or actual criminal and non-consensual sexual activity. So this is a real form of abuse of children when they are accessing this and they are accessing this and they're being exposed to it at alarming rates and it's really doing damage to them. So I'm a big advocate for protecting children from this kind of content. I'm willing to say it's not even secondhand, that it's just simply sexual abuse, that these children are being sexually abused when they view pornography. And I was talking to a friend and she said she overheard someone giving this speech and they were like, when a child comes to you and they say you looked at porn, you just need to say two words and everything will be good. And you look at them and you very tenderly say, it's okay. And then that solves some problem. And she and I were like, no, no, that's not what you say when a kid comes to you and looks at porn. You don't say it's okay. You say, I'm so sorry. That should never have happened to you. That is a form of sexual abuse. And I know you probably had some feelings going on because you've got a body and so you're half curious, half traumatized. You talk about that stuff, but you should never say to a kid when they see porn, it's okay. Or like, it's okay. So many people have viewed it or that's happened to everyone. You should not say that. You should say, I am so sorry. That should never have happened to you. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. And also in touch with so many distraught parents over, especially the last year and a half that have told me stories of their children where, you know, it is so serious what happens when they are traumatized by viewing this content. And in some cases they've said, you know, my son, after viewing the homepage of Pornhub, believed that he witnessed a rape. And based on what we know about Pornhub, it's very likely that he did witness an actual rape. But even if it was staged, he believed that it was, they said he wasn't the same after that. And he changed and he was in a very concrete, real sense, traumatized by what he saw and had to go into therapy. And they're still working through that. And it's, you know, months and months later after exposure. Um, in other cases, you know, parents have told me about situations where their children had viewed pornography and then acted out what they saw on their siblings. So basically a situation of rape and sexual assault against a younger sister. And that's not uncommon to hear those stories. And so I just think it's so important for us to just see the seriousness of this and handle it in a way that recognizes the real lasting trauma that could happen to children when they get exposed. And then we need to start advocating for protection and we need to see mandatory age verification laws put in place. I was so encouraged to see what Germany is doing. I just posted this yesterday. I think Germany is 
taking it so seriously that they're on the brink of shutting down Pornhub, X videos, X hamster, and the major tube sites in the country, turning the switch off because they refuse to verify the age of users and protect children from this content because they recognize that it's harmful to children. Go Germany. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there's other countries. Canada has now a bill introduced to do the same where they would require age verification for any site that's hosting pornography. And I think Australia is also looking into this and the UK has been taking this pretty seriously. So I'm hopeful that we'll get to a point where we are collectively having a new attitude about this and taking the harm to children very seriously. Let's talk specifically about the Trafficking Hub movement and what you are doing to stop the harm done by Pornhub and also hold companies accountable that are profiting from rape videos. Yeah, so going back to where I left off with the story, so I had made that personal discovery, something that so many people had already known that all it took was to upload content onto the world's largest porn sites that operate like Pornhub. X videos was an email address. So anonymously, anybody in the world with an iPhone could be a porn producer and really record a crime scene and upload it to the site. And nobody was verifying age and consent. And because of that, the site was set up for exploitation and infested with videos of the real rape, sex trafficking, assault, child sexual abuse, and also spy cam videos where women are being recorded without their knowledge in public restrooms and changing rooms and even teen prom toilets where they had installed cameras there and recording. And the site was full of those kinds of things. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. I have met several women in our community whose husbands have secretly filmed them like in the shower or while they were having sex that then they uploaded. So we also know that in marriage relationships, this is happening where husbands are secretly filming their wives in various compromising circumstances and uploading that. Yes, that's happening quite a lot. Yes, non-consensually recorded and distributed sex acts. And that is, yes, again, infested. These sites are infested with this kind of content where women are being recorded, they don't even know. And then these videos are getting uploaded to sites like Pornhub. And Pornhub had a download button on every video where anyone in the world, 130 million visitors per day, had an opportunity to, for free, download and own that trauma of that individual or that non-consensual video that was recorded and distributed, and then re-upload it forever again and again and again and again. It gets completely out of control once it's uploaded in the first place. So the trauma to victims of this, they call it the immortalization of their trauma, where it's one thing to experience a rape. It's another thing to know that that rape will be used for profit and pleasure long after they're even gone. And um, so all that to say, back when I made this discovery about this issue, this site being full of these illegal crime scene videos, 
I wrote an op-ed about it in February of last year that was published and it got an explosive reaction because people were shocked and horrified because Pornhub had presented itself to the world for so many years. It spent so much money on things like save the pandas and save the bees and save the oceans and raise awareness about breast cancer and donate masks for coronavirus to hospitals and do all these different PR stunts to make people believe that they were this mainstream, ethical, cute porn company. And when they found out that the site was full of child rape and abuse, they were horrified and they wanted to do something. And they asked me to start a petition, which I did right away were horrified about what was going on. And they said, I want to do something, please start a petition or I will. And I said, okay. So I copied and pasted my op-ed into a change.org petition that went viral. And now we have 2.2 million signatures from 192 countries. And we've had over 600 organizations from 65 countries participate in calling for Pornhub to be held criminally responsible for what they've done. There's been protests that have been ongoing outside of the MindGeek headquarters. And MindGeek, FYI, MindGeek is the company that owns Pornhub. MindGeek owns 80% is a number that is cited. 80% of the online mainstream porn industry, they have a monopoly on the global mainstream porn industry, owning hundreds of brands and sites. And they basically swallowed up all the little companies, rolled it all up into one huge mega corporation, and that's MindGeek. And Pornhub is just one site of the many, many sites that they own, the flagship site. So calling for criminal accountability for MindGeek. Also, hundreds of media articles were written in 2020. And then the New York Times did a groundbreaking investigation and released an expose in December called The Children of Pornhub. And this was the harrowing stories of children who'd been abused for profit on the site. And that resulted in 4,000 follow-on articles. And within days, Visa, MasterCard, and Discover cut ties with Pornhub and MindGeek. And then Pornhub deleted 80% of its site. So the 10th most visited website in the world deleted 10 million videos in 24 hours after all of this happened. And they've been on a trajectory of... <laughs> kind of a crippling trajectory ever since, you know, obviously financially crippled because they can only take cryptocurrency, but there's also been parliamentary investigations launched where the hidden owners of Pornhub have been forced out of the shadows. They've been hiding their identities for years using fake names and concealing themselves from the public. They've been forced out of the shadows. They've been identified. Oh, really quick. I doubt anyone would know actually who these people are, but who are they? Not like their names in particular, but like, do they own a football team? Are they like doctor? You know, are they like upstanding members of society? Like who are they? Yeah. Well, I will say their names because I do like saying their names because they for so long. So Bernd Bergmer is a man from Austria who was found just weeks ago, actually, by an investigative journalist who located him and actually got him on camera for the first time in London. But he also has a residence in Hong Kong. He's a businessman and Ferris Antoon, Corey Ehrman, Corey Ehrman has used fake names, Corey Price and Blake White for years, speaking in the media over and over and over again. David Tassillo, and these are men who run the site and they profit from it. And the latest lawsuit against MindGeek and Pornhub on behalf of 34 women 
based on the testimonies of firsthand accounts of those inside the company, whistleblowers and other evidence that this is actually a criminal enterprise, that this is organized crime. And they were sued using the laws that we go after the mob with. So RICO, racketeering, child pornography, sex trafficking, and all of that it was a massive lawsuit that was recently filed. So that's kind of who they are. This is very exciting. We talk about all the pain and suffering that pornography and sex trafficking and child sexual abuse has caused to the world in general, and then obviously specific individuals. It's just overwhelming, all the pain and suffering that it's caused. So it's super exciting that things might be happening. What do you think is next? And then also, how can our community of women who have been so deeply impacted in their homes by pornography, how can they help this cause? I agree. You know, there have been people and advocates who've been pioneering and and pushing back against this for so many years. And it's so exciting to see traction and see the mega predator is what I call MindGeek and Pornhub being held accountable. Truly kind of a villain situation where you have the villain and the victims and being able to see victims obtaining justice, getting their voices heard, of exposing the criminal enterprise, as the lawsuit called it, behind all this, is so encouraging and exciting. But we're not done yet. Pornhub and MindGeek has been severely crippled, and we've already seen a domino effect happening within the, its largest competitor. So the New York Times also did an expose after Pornhub on X videos and PayPal stopped doing business with X videos and they're under investigation, criminal investigation in the Czech Republic where they're based. And there's been changes and kind of a shaking and a reckoning within this industry, but we're not done. We want to see real full justice. And for me and the victims that I've spoken to, what that means is restitution. We want to see successful civil litigation. And there's been six lawsuits on behalf of 97 women launched against MindGeek since summer of last year. And three of them are class actions on behalf of trafficked minors. But we want to see these successful. We want to see these victims compensated. And then we want to see criminal prosecutions of, of the executives responsible for this. Ultimately, what I see and victims see as justice is to see the site shut down, to see Pornhub actually shut down. Because you think about Harvey Weinstein, when he was caught raping women, they didn't let him just say sorry and go on his merry way. Like that's not how the law works. That's not how justice works. He needs to be put in prison for sexual abuse, criminal sexual abuse. So we need to see the same thing. We don't let them just hide behind a corporation when this is actual, real, mass sexual abuse that has happened for so long. If you want to be part of this, you know, with so many organizations and so many advocates and individuals and victims who've like joined together in this movement to hold MindGeek accountable, sign the petition, traffickinghubpetition.com, share it. Also speak with your representatives. They work for you and raise this issue with them and tell them we need to see the Stop Internet Sexual Exploitation Act passed. And that would you know, require age and consent verification for every individual in every video on these sites. If you want to contribute to the cause or my work, you can go to justicedefensefund.org and read about what we're doing to empower victims to pursue civil litigation against their abusers. Because these corporate abusers care about finances above everything. And so if we can hit them where it hurts, 
uh, in their bank accounts and on behalf of victims, I think that that'll also help to really rein in this rogue industry. There are a lot of women that I talk to and a lot of people I talk to who are like, they kind of roll their eyes when I talk about pornography and thinking like, yeah, we know porn's bad, but like trying to stop porn. Are you kidding me? You could never do that. And I always think absolutely we can, right? I don't know how long it will take. I don't know how we will do it, but we have to think that we can do something in order to actually do it. In the Christian faith, there's the, the, you have to have faith, a grain of mustard seed in order to move a mountain. So it starts with us believing that it's possible. And for my community, the first thing they need to start believing it's possible is that they themselves can get to safety in their own homes, that their own home can be a place of peace and safety for them. Number one thing on their list is get to emotional, physical, sexual safety in your own home. As a victim myself, your own heart leads you to try and help others. So for members of my community, please consider doing this. Go to justicedefensefund.org where you can get more information. And will you say that website one more time where they can sign that petition? Yeah, traffickinghubpetition.com. And you can sign that and share that. And I always say awareness is the doorway to action. People can't act on something that they're not aware of. And with regard to all of this, in the porn industry and people not taking this seriously or kind of joking about it. I think what is really helpful is when people realize the real harm that this is doing to real victims in front of the screen and behind it, and to begin seeing this as the real human rights issue that it is. Yeah. And we have to start somewhere, making the world safer, not only for the world in general, but also individual families and individual people. Our goal is is to get women to safety. Yes. Yeah. And so get people to safety. That's a great thing to focus on and doing that for those who are used behind the screens and those, you know, like children who are being exposed to this, prevent them from being exposed to this, prevent that sexual abuse from ever happening on both sides. That's a job that could potentially take a long time and a lot of effort for us to do. And if we can do that, that's a huge victory. It's just going to take a lot of little victories or a lot of big victories, right, over time to make the world safe for everyone. I think that's our goal, like our overall goal, even though all of us are little pieces of this puzzle. Yes, and never underestimate what I've seen so much over the last year and a half with this trafficking hub movement is that it's one by one by one, adding your voice, organizations collaborating, working together. We can't take on a multi-billion dollar predatory criminal enterprise (laughs) alone. We have to do it together. And that's really the only way we're going to get traction. So encourage everyone to be empowered to participate in whatever way you can. Absolutely. And I also just want to give women hope in your own personal life. If setting that boundary, it seems overwhelming, but like just doing one little thing, signing a petition, it might seem kind of whatever, what good's that going to do? Just start making little baby steps in any way that you can to get yourself to safety and then to help others get to safety. And that is really, really cool. I envision betrayal trauma recovery helping support an army of healthy women across the world who are helping other women get to safety. And that always makes me really happy. I love the fact that this audience for this podcast is a, what I think of like an army of women who are so passionate about this issue because they've experienced 
the hurt of it themselves and can empathize and just come at it from a place of, of such a real motivation for ending something that you've personally experienced the harm of in your own life and being able to use that energy and passion to help stop this from happening in the future to others. Love what you're doing in your community. Thank you. And we're so grateful for you and what you do. Again, to find out more about Lila's organization, go to justicedefensefund.org. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.